0: Welcome back to episode 55 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing strength and conditioning coach Buddy Morris. Buddy Morris is the current strength and conditioning coach for the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. Buddy has a long and distinguished career in the strength and conditioning profession. Previously, Buddy has been the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Pittsburgh as well as the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. On this episode, me and Buddy discuss many topics including Buddy's background, influences on Buddy, problems that Buddy sees within the strength and conditioning profession, program design, periodization, and many other topics throughout the show. It was a really great show, guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Buddy Morris, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. You're someone I've been wanting to get on for a while now. Uh, Just for the listeners, Buddy, who may not be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Uh,
1: First of all, Rob, I appreciate the opportunity. Obviously, I'm always honored and humbled when I get to be on somebody's show. Uh, I started the profession in 1980. I was one of the very first strength coaches, or what I'll refer to as coach of physical preparation now, hired in the United States. I was hired by the University of Pittsburgh where I stayed from 1980 to 1990. I left in 90 when my oldest daughter was placed on a liver transplant list. I went to work for a hospital and went into private practice, starting to train athletes for the NFL draft before anybody else started doing this nonsense. Uh, I trained Sean Gilbert, Daryl Gardner, Curtis Martin, Ruben Brown. Three of those were first-round draft choices. In 97, I got a call from the University of Pittsburgh asked to come back. I went back from 97 to 2001. 2001 to 2004, I went to the Cleveland Browns. Unfortunately, you know in the NFL, uh, it's all about results, and you're not there for long. So I left. We were let go in 2004. I sat a year in basic of semi-retirement, still collected a contract, went back to the University of Buffalo. Now, let me tell you what. You talk about a humbling experience. There's 119 teams in Division I college football. The University of Buffalo was 119. So I had nowhere to go but up. After six months, Coach Dave Wanstead was at the University of Pittsburgh, called me and asked me to come back again. Uh, I went back to the University of Pittsburgh where I stayed with Coach Wonstead, during that four or five years that we were there again, uh, I turned down the Washington Redskin, Green Bay Packer and Iowa State job. People always ask me why I did that. I had a daughter who was at Pitt's nursing school, which means she was going, going to school for free. So after they gave me a three year deal, after the first year we were let go Rob, I had two years of semi-retirement. My wife and I moved back to her hometown of Buffalo, New York, opened up a performance training center, which is still going, under her son's supervision. Uh, I got a call last year, actually, from Bruce Arians to come to Arizona, called me the next day, said he couldn't bring me in. Uh, he had to keep the guy who was there. So I decided if I'm going to get back in this profession, once again, I went back to University of Buffalo. I went back for six weeks. After six weeks, B.A. called me. And I've been in Arizona with the Arizona Cardinals since
0: the first week of March. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff, buddy. Who would you say have been the biggest influences on you, buddy, uh, both as a coach and as a person?
1: Well, one of the benefits of being in Arizona is a guy named Dan Path, who's a genius in development of power speed athletes. Uh, He sends me research articles. He's given me an open invitation. I've been over there two or three times with him and Stuart McMillan. I plan to go over a lot more after the season ends because you're never too old to learn. I've always said you limit your knowledge, you limit your ability. If you limit your ability, you limit your development of your athletes. The excuse of being old school is just an excuse for being lazy and an excuse for being stupid. Information doubles every 18 months in this country, probably faster now, Rob. I was very fortunate to become very good friends with Louis Simmons, who really changed my outlook on strength training, Uh, Charlie Francis. Obviously, the assistants I've had have always been smarter than me. You know, James Smith, who's referred to as the thinker on Elite Fitness, the entire crew of Westside Barbell, uh, Mike Gadango, Alan de Janeiro, Tom Mazlinski. Um, I've had tons of assistants who have really uh, Anthony Paroli who have really put together information, helped me expand my knowledge. Of course I've had the opportunity to be around people like Judd Logan, uh, Doctor Anatoly Bondarchuk, Dr. Yeshuran, I visited Doctor Zad And the big thing I've always done, Rob, as I'm doing now, is I continue to read every day mm-hmm. uh, and those people really helped shape my coaching career, I had a great high school track coach and, and a guy named Jim Sanderbeck and obviously I have to give credit to my lovely wife Monica who has really tolerated me for what is seven years now, they're close, but uh, during a period of unemployment when I was the moodiest SOB in the world, Rob uh, she stuck by me and, and has really been, uh, you know, has brought peace to my life and really helped me um, hone in on my career. And, plus, you know, she's a national figure competitor, so she understands we both competed together in the sport of bodybuilding. I retired at the age of 52. Like I said, she's 55 now and plans to compete one more time. But I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to be around some great people and continue to learn right now. I'm working with a guy named Jerry McCoy from Catapult, uh, Joe Jameson up at BioForce people who have really helped increase my knowledge down the set can. and like I said every day is a learning experience I don't profess to know it all the more I read Rob the more I realize what I don't know
0: yeah yeah that all saying the more I learn the less I know it's uh, I, I actually Bingo. I actually had uh, James Smith uh, over here in, in Ireland to do a seminar two years ago so I I, I know James very well um, Genius, straight genius yeah he's, he's a great guy re- re- really top bloke uh, had a great time when when he was over here in Ireland um, and i you know, I, all, all the people you name, they're people that I learned from too. Dan Pfaff is an absolute genius. He, he, I'm, I'm really hoping to get out maybe and see him. Uh, he's doing a seminar for athletes.
1: Here, here's what's great about Dan Pfaff, I hate to interview, and, and, and there's the same thing with Charlie Francis. Yeah. The great observationist. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to do these screens now again nowadays. You know what? The screens have been around forever. It's called watching your athletes move during the course of a workout. I've never seen anybody as as observant as Charlie Francis was, as Dan Path. They observe their athletes, and the best thing about these coaches, and what I think is a great coach, is a coach who can make an adjustment. Mm. Too many times people just, it's on paper, we're going to do it. Well, that's not training. Because your athletes may not be in a height Out of them, I better be ready to change, yeah. and I better be able to reintroduce or lower my bones and spend more time doing recovery and restoration because they're telling me right now they're shot because they're not talking to it.
0: Yeah, it's like so that. That's uh, one of the
1: things I've learned off a of damn path is just being around him and watching him coach.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a really good uh, YouTube series of Dan Fast uh, presenting uh, his training theory at the Canadian um, I think it's Canadian Sports or the Canadian Athletics Trust Association. Me. I've watched it twice. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I've, I, I have it on audio. I've listened to it about, and this is, and like, people always over-exaggerate, but I've literally listened to it, I'd say, at least 20 plus times, and I've watched the videos through, through two or three times. But in, 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 Here, in Go ahead, go ahead. Here's buddy. the key that, here's the key you got to pick up, Rob. In the very first
1: five minutes, Dan Pass says this, don't take anything as gospel. Yeah. This is not my philosophy. This is my program that has evolved many years of coaching yeah, yeah and here's the key word evolve does yeah. your program evolve or are you just doing the same thing from year to year are you doing redundant stuff you know al vermil is a great strength coach and i have both of his presentations that i got from somebody and i've heard al speaking
0: yeah
1: one of the things al says is don't do things don't waste time doing things you shouldn't be doing don't do it just to do it why are people still doing a foot ladder I think a foot ladder is one of the worst things ever invented, but yet people are spending more and more time using a foot ladder. Yeah. Don't try to attain things that are unattainable. And yeah. that's what it is. I've never, I quit using a foot ladder back in 2000, Rob. Yeah. And
0: yeah.
1: if you look at the great athletes, there are biomechanical truths, there are physiological truths. I deal with the sport of football. Football is an alactic, anaerobic, aerobic sport. Why are we still running 300 yard shuttles and 110s? It's yeah. not a lactic sport. Even if it was lactic, the body clears lactic acid from its body 20 to 30 minutes after the sensation of the event. Why are we still telling our athletes we lift the weights a day after a competition to clear lactic acid? Really? In a sport that's not lactic? you got to be kidding me. Yeah. But this, yeah. is, this is the profession, especially in the United States, yeah. But this is what's been shoved down our throats by the governing bodies of all our, our strength coaches because nobody wants to upset the status quo. And that's the problem we have. And that's the second problem in this country – it's like James Smith has always said, I've said it. We suffer from academic myopia. They only teach you what they want you to know, and we are highly overvolumized in this country. We think more is better. You don't blame it, go to McDonald's and get super sized fries now instead of the regular fries I showed you when I was growing up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just people are just victims of their culture. Um, you no know, question. Yeah, fi- victims of their culture, victims of their environment, and so their environment shapes their operation system of how they see the world and that becomes their belief system and then they just don't question that belief system because to them that belief system is truth when really if you got down to the very core of it it isn't really you know again it's it's uh, their, their belief system is based off an indoctrination that they went through uh, particularly through, in the, through their infancy and their childhood you know so you know things, no that, th- th- things that they presume or perceive to be true are in fact actually not when you really you know sit them down and question them and get into actually consciously Override their subconscious belief system and, and you know analyze that those subconscious beliefs and then they kind of go you know what actually I don't I don't really know why I believe that I just do so you know th- as you said that that's, it carries over to society too not just with with uh, physical pre- pre- preparation you know so it's like anything if you're an Olympic lifting guy you think everything has to evolve around Olympic lifting if you're a powerlifting exactly, guy exactly. you think it has to all, all around because that's 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 the environment that you came from so that's what you're gonna usually try and lump your your athletes into.
1: Unfortunately. People are afraid to get out of their comfort zone. Oh,
0: yeah, People are
1: afraid to have them tell something they don't know. Yeah. I, that's why I always hired assistants that were smarter than me. I don't want a bunch of mini-me's running around, Rob. I want a bunch of guys who are going to come in and help me get better and more knowledgeable and help the program. My ego isn't so big that I want a bunch of small guys running around repeating my philosophy and my programs. Yeah. That's not training. Yeah, yeah. That's not allowing a coach to evolve as himself and develop his own programs. Sure, you hope to have influences, But I still talk to all these guys that I've had the opportunity to learn from. And like I said, the visitations to Dan Papp and Stuart McMillan have been invaluable in helping me continue to learn because I saw him on video, but then to be around the guy in person and just watch him coach, his art of coaching, watch him observe, and just talking to him You'd be surprised how much more knowledgeable
0: you become being around people like that. Just to to touch on that point about Dan Faf, what I was going to say was that in in that video uh, seminar, just when you were saying, you know, coaching has been able to change things when you need to, kind of on the fly or in that moment, he talked about he'd often have reporters come watch his athletes do an acceleration workout and they'd be down to do 18 starts that day and Dan would say, okay, we're done and they're only at 9 and the reporters would go, they have another 9 starts to do and Dan's like, yeah, are, did you see what they did in rep 8 and 9? It was terrible. He's like, why, why would I get them yep. to do any more? I, I know exactly what
1: you're talking about. Let me tell you something Derek Hansen once told me. You know, Derek Hansen spent a lot of time with Charlie and another guy i got to give a shout out to. Uh, but Derek and I were talking... And he said, the key to coaching is you ability to make adjustments on the day of training to make optimal the training day through your heightened sense of observation and programming. Yeah, yeah. And that's the key. What are they displaying to me on a training day, or am I just going to do it? I always tell my people, you know, I get women all the time asking, well, what do you do for your wife? I said, do it for my wife what my wife needs to have done.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, my wife, trust me, is one of those ones, she got dragged out of the gym with her tongue dragging on the ground. My wife would fall in love with CrossFit if I let her do it. <laughs> but, you know, when she's done, I tell her, that's it, You're done.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, right now at 55, she can grab 50 pound dumbbells and bang off 10, 12 reps on a dumbbell bench. Yeah. I've seen guys can't do that to a gym, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I keep telling there's no need for you to go that heavy anymore. There's no need. You have the tissue. We just have to refine and provide more quality of movement and movement patterns to help you prepare for the sport. Again, it's what's required of the sport. So when you look at the four components that I look at when I, and when I program for American football, number one is I understand training is a long-term process, Rob. There's no quick fixes. Yeah. There's no double probation, secret, magic, smoking gun, bullet, double probation, exercise or program out there. Berkushansky said it best back, back, back in 1980. He said there are no new exercises. There's circus acts which these internet gurus are trying to promote because they're trying to make a buck. When my guys start playing football on an electric football field or a field that vibrates, then I may have them stand on a half of a, half of a foam roller in a ball-bearing foot squat and do it then. But if you're truly look at it, all you're doing is destroying force and power outputs. So there is no magic out there. Here's the secret. There is no secret. Second of all, program to the bioenergetic demands of the sport. Third, for American football, we program based on positional requirements. Obviously, the closer you get to the ball, the more strength-dominant you are. The further you get away from the ball, the more speed-dominant. Why are you training a quarterback like you're training a defensive lineman? Why are you training a defensive lineman like you're training a wide receiver? Yeah. Totally absurd as far as I'm concerned. Last but not least, program for the individual.
0: Yeah.
1: Your individuals are going to display to you what they need. I always said there's three opinions. There's opinion of the athlete. There's opinion of the coach. There's an opinion of the athlete's body. Who are you going to listen to? Obviously, the athlete's body does not lie, Rob. So my athlete's body is displayed to me or communicate with me. My question is, am I paying attention? Mm. And most people don't want to pay attention because it requires extra work on their part. Yeah, yeah. And
0: we've become a lazy culture. You're 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 skipping ahead with with some stuff uh, with answers to questions I have. So you have already touched on kind of the next two questions, but the, m- maybe I'm going to ask it anyway. So so kind of people can refer back to this point in the podcast. But in your in your mind, uh, buddy, what are the biggest problems that you see within the strength and, condition and uh, strength conditioning profession or physical preparation profession, whatever title you want to give it? Number one is
1: academic. Like I said before, academic myopia. They only teach you what they want you to know. If you want to learn more, you have to go outside. The, the, the organizations that govern the body of strength coaches are still talking about Western periodization which, or linear periodization, which is old, antiquated, and outdated. Obviously, anything's going to work with a highly untrained individual. The closer you get to your genetic limit, your room for improvement becomes smaller and smaller, so there is no room for mistakes. You can't make a, I can't make a mistake programming for athletes on this level. I've got to outthink, outmotivate, outwork, outgrind, and i program 31 of the best trained coaches in the world in the National Football League every day, Rob. Mm. So there's problem number one, academic myopia. We don't look at why things work. We're too busy arguing you should do Olympic lifting. No, you should do powerlifting. When in actuality, all exercises are good. The goal in training to, is to increase the biological output of the organism. Yes. In other words,
0: affect
1: <laughs> yeah, the working ability of all the body systems as a whole. Yeah. The second goal of physical preparation is to increase the force or uh, power output of the competitive exercise, movement, or activity. How you do that, I don't care. You don't have to Olympic lift to become explosive. Yeah. My guys do no Olympic lifting. My guys do a lot of explosive med ball throws. We do true alactic acceleration work, which as Dan Papp says. Acceleration is a skill. It must be worked on daily, which we do. We just program it different for volumes based on position. We understand that acceleration can be worked on 46 44 out of 46 months out of the year, and that's what we do. That's what we program. So, so there's your one of your biggest problems. The second biggest problem, we've got too many egos. Too many egos. Nobody wants to share information. Everybody's one size. This works. Now this works. And like Dan Papp says, you can take the 10 top Olympic sprinters in the world. They all may train differently, but there are, like I said before, biomechanical truths and physiological truths that are, that are there that must be paid attention to. You know, we've got to get away from Western periodization and progressive overload, and the Olympic lifting is the only one. And I love Olympic lifting as a sport. I have my wife do it in figure competition, getting ready for figure shows. But in my opinion, it has no benefit to a football player the whole goal of our program, our vision statement, is to help help our athletes achieve the highest level of physical preparedness, Rob, using methods and means, and means I mean exercises, which yield the highest possible results at the lowest cost. Yeah. Low risk, high reward is a win-win every time. Yeah. The process of obtaining sports mastery is difficult enough for the human body. Why would I introduce something that's going to be even more technically demanding than the actual sporting activity?
0: Yeah. So I, again, I choose not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, I. I love what you said there. I was. I was kind of like saying yes in the background because I always say that you know, in injury reduction aside, our main role as physical preparation coaches is to increase our athletes' motor potential, to increase our athletes' uh, force output capabilities. So I get to, to you know to develop our our athletes' biomechanical qualities to the highest potential possible. Yeah, so
1: I, I,
0: and there are there are many biomodal abilities. You know, look at the five S's for a power speed athlete: yeah. skill, strength, suppleness, stamina, and speed. That's Roger. what we focus on. Well, Dan, Dan, that's the Dan, full, or as Don Pat says, he's, Dan, as Dan Pat says, work capacity hates that, hates stamina. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, we, we so just, we, go go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Buddy we have used, and I've adopted Charlie Francis's high-low approach. Yeah, me too. And I've taken what
1: I've learned from Louie. I've taken what I've learned from Charlie. I've taken what I'm learning from Dan Pap. And now you have to look at all this stuff and say, okay, that's how they prepare their athletes for their sport. How can I modify or use all this information to help prepare my athletes for the individual or the sporting activity that we have to get ready for? Yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's a complete – you can't lift West side for football. I'm saying yeah. you that right now. Yeah. You can't have the Olympic lift and use the an Olympic lifters program for football. And let's put it this way. I love Olympic lifting, like I said, but this country has not won a medal in Olympic lifting since 1968 and it was a bronze. You'd think we'd start looking at each other and say, you know what, fellas, what we're doing ain't working. Let's not look at all, It's the, the, not that many people are involved in a sport. Let's stop looking at the drug issue because that's not it. That playing field has been leveled the whole time. Let's start looking at how we prepare our athletes for the sport of Olympic lifting. yeah,
0: Buddy, if I was to ask you what is your coaching philosophy, so what, what are the principles that drive your thought process with regards to training, what would you say?
1: I don't have a philosophy. The only people who have philosophies are philosophers, and I'm not a philosopher. I have a system. Hmm. And like Dan Papp says, that system has evolved over 35 years of doing this, Rob. I've forgotten more than what most young guys now know, know nowadays. I understand that it's a continual learning process. I continue to read every day. I'm really uh, I'm reading Dr. Kelly uh, Starrett's book, Supple Leopard, right now. Yeah. I'm reading Dr. Bondarchuk's new book, which I got from uh, Yusuf Johnson at Ultimate Athletes Concepts, which is where I get all my information from. I'm, I'm re- actually reading two books at one time, and I have a whole bunch of studies I'm going to read while we're at camp on the value of, of tracking and the and the, and the GPS systems. For athletes and how we can integrate it to our athletes to better prepare
0: and to better program on 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 this level. Mm-hmm. So just continuing on from that, buddy, you said you have a system. So let's just say, buddy, I I was to turn up at your facility in New York. Let's just say you were in New York. So I am a I'm a young kid. Well, I'm 27. I turn up at your facility. What what would what like what happens? What do you do? What is your system? Is there a screening process an assessment? Is there testing? What do you do?
1: First of all, I always put all my athletes for some type of active dynamic warm-up where I can expose you to multiple movements just to see how you move. Now, understanding this, the true assessment comes when I start to mechanically stress the body. Mm. You can do a perfect bodyweight squat, Rob. It looks great. Okay, now let's start loading it. Let's start loading it from a back squat. Let's start loading it from a front squat. Let's start loading it from a Bulgarian split squat. Let me see it pull off the floor. All of those different movements now become an assessment. But the key in teaching at the movements is to teach people how to get set up properly so they don't lose force production or bleed force. You can produce force in any position, crappy or perfect. The question now becomes, how long can I produce force in poor movement patterns? It's a proven fact. People who are more mechanically efficient expend far less energy than those who are not mechanically efficient. So all the, with my athletes, I secure biomechanical movement efficiency first. So we use a lot, we slow things down because all movement begins in the brain. And when you want to change things, Rob, you've got to get the brain's attention. The only way to get the brain's attention is to slow things down. Second of all, I use a lot of static work to teach movement patterns. Static work is great for activation, education, and correction, which is what we use it for. And third of all, we're constantly reinforcing those biomechanical proper movement positions with our athletes before we even start to load anything. And our loading process is very gradual over time. Second of all, I look at how many years you've trained. What is your training background? Where have you come from? What is your predominance? Have you been a pilot? Have you been an Olympic a Olympic And let's say, I've been a bodybuilder all my life, and I can still produce pretty good force even as a bodybuilder. But again, I don't train as a typical bodybuilder. Mm. And those that are, that's how I would start to program for you as an athlete. But the key is, I don't really program for you until I get to learn more and more about you, which is watching you move, looking at those biomechanical physiological truths and seeing how you fit into them, and then from there start to formulate a, a program for you.
0: And then with regards to your, your program design buddy, uh, so well, what what do you do in that regard? I mean, program design is it's pretty cut and dry, I suppose. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone... Usually follows a pretty same sequence as in you know it's usually some sort of corrective work or and then warm up and then power work and then your strength work and then maybe ESD. But what's what's program design like uh, with regards to, to to the way you set things up?
1: Well, obviously we use Charlie Francis high low approach. Acceleration work is worked on four to five times days four to five times a week. We start off with always foam rolling. We go through a, a series of mobility and activation work, heart rate elevation. I have a pretty extensive upper body med ball warm-up that when I first started putting the Arizona Cardinals through, gassed them. But over time, it raised their level of work capacity. Where I had offensive linemen who were first struggling with a 10-pound med ball rod, now over time they're using a 20-pound med ball. Very easy, without any disruption or stress to the body. Remember this, when we started, first started working, our extensive work, a low-intensive work was actually intensive for them because they'd never done it. Yeah. There is no speed endurance in football. Why are you running 150s and 300s? It just totally boggles my mind. If you want to expand the alactic envelope, you have to train in the alactic environment. Mm. Also, you know, there are days we have set aside for recovery and restoration. But because we feel so strongly about acceleration work, it's done every day, some form of it, even on our low CNS days. What I've done is I've taken Charlie's high-low approach and I've dispersed all my high-CNS work throughout the entire week. So, example, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which is our low-CNS training day, Rob, I've included explosive med ball throws. All med ball throws are concentric in nature, right? Yeah. But it maintains a hint of high-CNS work, allows you to maintain the high-CNS stimulus from the day before. And like Charlie says, you can have a high-CNS stimulus on a low-CNS day as long as it's brief in nature. And that's what we've done. So we've dispersed the volume of high CNS work throughout the week, along with acceleration work, but allow those two days for circulatory response to promote recovery and restoration for our athletes. And that's our program. Obviously, what is most taxing to the central nervous system is is done after all of our our corrective exercise, our mobility work, our active dynamic warm-up, our foam rolling and our BBC pipe work and if it's a high CNS day, obviously we're doing high CNS work first. If it's low CNS day, we're doing upper body work, then we follow with tempo. The speed is the utmost king. So we spend a lot of time on acceleration and speed work here, Rob. I can't stress that enough, especially for the sport of American football.
0: So on those lower days, you're doing those explosive throws, and you're doing upper body work then days as well. Is it just upper body accessory work, or is it just... Is well, it-
1: Monday, Monday and Thursday, we do tempo work and upper body work. Okay. The reason I do that is because my guys are off the entire weekend. Uh, I guarantee they're going to come in dehydrated. They have done no activities. They've had a two-day layoff. So I go with a circulatory response first to heat up those motor units, prepare them for the high CNS work the next day. Yeah. So we come in, we do our, our foam mowing for upper body, PVC pipe mobility mobility work for upper body. We do our upper body med ball warm-up. Then we go into our upper body work, then tempo, our explosive med ball throws, then tempo work. And then a cool-down and restorative re-lengthening work. Then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, obviously, foam roller again, active dynamic warm-up, a very extensive, including power speed drills. Then we go into our alactic power work, our jumps, and then we go into the weight room. And then once again, which I feel is very valuable, is our cool-down or our warm-down after all our work is done. To re-lengthen tissue, to a lot of the parasympathetic branch, we've the autonomic nervous system to start to kick in and override the sympathetic branch. And that's basically the template we use. We use Wednesday and Saturday for pool work or very low CNS work through tempo work. And that's our week.
0: Very good. Very, very good, Jen. Uh With regards to periodization, I know you're very influenced by Louie. So do you use a variation of the West Side method? I, I all say Westside. I, I never say conjugate because, like, really it's not conjugate if you go conjugate. It's by not. I think that's
1: right. It's not conjugate. It's concurrent sequencing methodology. Yeah. Conjugate training is using one method to develop one motor ability with one one means for one block, yeah. understanding that each block will have a positive effect on a motor ability enhanced enhance upon a motor ability developed in a subsequent block. Yeah. That's yeah. conjugate training.
0: That's conjugate. We're
1: concurrent sequencing methodology where it's all looked at. Believe it or not, training a beginning athlete and training an elite athlete are basically the same. It's very general in nature. The beginning athlete has no sporting form. They can't handle anything very intense. Everything must be general movement, general in nature. The elite athlete, the only way they're going to get better at their primary sporting activity is to continue to do the sporting activity. So now that becomes the greatest treasure to the central nervous system, the biomotor system, the neuroendocrine system, the neurochemistry. Now training goes back to being very general in nature because of the man of sporting activity. It's the middle athlete or the intermediate athlete, which is what most college kids are, where you can really, really benefit from concurrent sequencing methodology. So we've looked at that, and we just program in blocks for our athletes. When I talk about blocks, I talk about four-week segments of periods of time. Football is not a true block training sport because of many technical and tactical and biomechanical abilities that have to be developed. It can't be block training. Yeah,
0: yeah. You can you be. Yeah, I suppose. Charlie's vertical integration kind of would work well there because every biomechanical quality is trained throughout each block. It's just that one or two uh, biomechanical qualities are usually emphasized as long as they're compatible qualities, obviously. So that's kind of what I do. That's exactly,
1: and, we use, yeah. and that's all I use. I use Charlie's vertical integration periodization program. Yeah. It's amazing. You ask most strength coaches about that, they don't they have no idea what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this kid from Ireland knows what it is. <laughs>
1: that's good. You're one of the very few who can actually understand it. All components are addressed all year long. It's just depending on what is emphasized. Now it takes predominance. The other ones are just maintained yeah. or retained. Or retained, uh, retaining load. Yeah. So, if my, like Charlie used to use before the, the glass theory. If my glass is three quarters full of speed work, I don't have much room left because you, the same motor, same motor abilities, the same qualities must compete for the same CNS resources. Yeah. So you can't fry them, Rob. You cannot fry them.
0: Uh, a question now just popped into my mind that i want to ask was so with regards to all the buyer motor qualities buddy do you have an objective way to measure each one of the buyer motor qualities like so basically what i'm asking is how do you know if athlete a over here h- how do you know where all all his buyer motor qualities are at in comparison to athlete b over here like so like, let's just say like for strength we know that one or end testing is kind of an objective way to know where that buyer more quality is at so do you have sort of objective tests objective ma- markers or measures to look at each individual by moral quality or like h- how do you how do you know like
1: the test i like to use for power speed athletes is actually the max jones quadrathlon uh... you can look that up on the internet but basically it's a 10 to 30 meter sprint mm. it's a standing broad jump it's three standing broad jumps reactively in a row and it's overhead shot foot throw off of the toe board uh... use that with all my athletes Okay. Uh, like, Dan Kopp once told me, he doesn't have periods of testing wrong. I see it from a neuroendocrine, neurochemistry standpoint, yeah. he finds that he gets worse results. Yeah. So he actually, and I think it's a great idea, we actually test our guys during periods of intensive training. Yeah. So if you feel good, go for it. This is what we're going to do for today. And your athletes will, again, if you really watch your athletes, they'll display what they can handle what they can't. But again, you have to ask yourself, am I watching each athlete or am I just putting everybody through the same cookie-cutter program and I don't want to take the extra effort it's going to take to do just a certain guy this way and a certain guy that way.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned uh, Joel Jameson and Val... Val- what's pronounced Val's second name? Val... Well, you don't, don't I, I can
1: build you. Rob, can you hear me down again?
0: So uh, you you mentioned Joel, Joel Jameson earlier on, and you also mentioned um I can't I can never pronounce the the guy's second name. His first name is Val, the the Russian guy. Do you know his second uh, name? He he he's the guy that does the Omega Wave. Val Niseskin, is that his name? Oh, Val Val Niseskin, yes. yeah. Yeah, Val Neseskin. Sorry, you, well you mentioned him and and Joel Jameson earlier on. So my next question is going to be with regards to heart rate variability. Are, are you? Using that at all with your guys, or have you used it? Have you experimented with the Omega Wave or some sort of HRV system? And if you have, what, what do you think of it and how have you, have you used it to drive your training?
1: We have used uh, the Omega Wave when I was in Cleveland. Obviously, 19 teams in the NFL are now tracking. We're trying to become the 20th team, so we're behind everybody right now. Uh, I have met several times with Joe Jamison and he and I have talked about heart rate variability. I've met with Gary McCoy from Catapult. Again, it gives you information and data, but here's what I like to tell people. People who rely too much on data are like the drunk that relies on the lamppost. You never get to see the forest through the trees. It gives you information and valuable information, but it's not the driving force. I think still the driving force is what you see or observe in the constant communication with the coach and the athlete. I will like to – we are going to move forward to tracking – because I think everybody has a threshold that once they hit that threshold at some point in time, as the bottom the intensity increases, especially in the NFL, then injuries are going to increase. Here's the worst thing about being an NFL strength coach. Don't get me wrong. It's the greatest thing in the world. The what used to be a 12-week program, and you'd get them for six weeks before they go back on the field. You now get them for eight weeks. You get two weeks of uninterrupted training before they're back on the field with quarterback school and OTAs. And then the last five weeks, which is the most important before you go to camp, you don't even see them. Hmm. So you have to rely, at least they're doing something, but you rely, have to rely on some performance guru out there to get your guys ready. And like Bruce Arian says, it's now the athlete's responsibility to, prop, to get themselves in a tip-top shape, because now this is what they wanted. This is what their CBA has dictated. These are the rules, this is the time off they wanted. You know, So it's amazing, nobody asked us strength coaches or coach of physical preparation what we thought. Yeah. And that's a shame.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just and moving on from HRV um, into recovery. What sort of recovery methods do you use? Do you use the tempo runs like Charlie or tempo med ball pool work? Is there anything else that you that you incorporate into recovery? I think hands on
1: therapy is the greatest thing in the world and can never be replaced. Mm. Get a good masseuse or a good massage therapist. But I really only program high recovery methods or really intense recovery methods during three times in the year during a block of recovery or restoration, which is like postseason during a competitive season, and to restore autonomic function. I think you have to let the body do its job, Rob. The body is designed to adapt. The problem is, again, we adapt, stimulate, adapt, stimulate, adapt, stimulate. Dan Papp talks about adapt, stimulate, stabilize, then actualize. We don't give athletes a chance to stabilize or to actualize the increase in the biomotor building because we're always trying to take it to that next level. So I only program my therapy during those periods of time. Don't get me wrong, recovery must be built into the program through recovery, through like Charlie Francis said, through circulatory work, through tempo day, low CNS work. The real benefit of the, the low CNS work is recovery and as intensities and physical preparation raises. It allows you to secure the adaptation of the high CNS component. So if you don't allow the adaptation ICNS component and you continually hit the body with ICNS work, all the body does is seek a certain level of homostasis. It never achieves a higher level of physical preparedness, which is the goal in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, I'm not too sure if, if I'm right on this, but... You, you, you did a video one time with Jim Winner and Dave Tate on YouTube it was like back from like 2005 or in, in around then. But yeah. I, I'm nearly sure in that um, you guys spoke about recovery. I, I think it was in this. I heard this somewhere. But basically what, what was said was that if you keep giving sort of passive recovery uh, modes to the body, you actually maybe start to diminish the body's own capabilities to recover itself. Because exactly. You, because you you keep aiding it when if you actually kind of you have to kind of again it's like training you need to cycle in and out or it's like you know it's it's like using steroids you need to be on it and off it to get the benefit from it. you can't stay on it all the time so it was kind of the same. There's, there's a thing in medical science called
1: tachyphylaxis. Yeah. Tachy, tachyphylaxis means the drug or the treatment loses its intended intended effect. Yeah yeah. If you keep using all these recovery methods the body does not do its job the body becomes very passive at it. And when it comes time for the body to actually promote it, it can't do it because it relies too heavy. So it's like anything, too much of a good mental. There's a certain time and a certain place. One of the things we look at as we move into camp now, Rob, is the fact that my biggest job is now management, the management of the stress. And understand the one antibiotic thing we can give them as coaches, it's called sleep. But sleep patterns become so disrupted during camp that they really enter into jet lag after about three to five days of camp
0: yeah.
1: because their sleep patterns are so thrown off. So now, in a competition period or in a period of high loading, recovery methods become imperative. Mm. What can we do to promote recovery? Cold baths, foam rolling, uh, passive—I mean, passive active work. Our hands-on program with our therapists. As I'm trying to bring in a group of therapists to put hands on our guys the entire time, which I think is of valuable importance. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, you can't... Eventually, recovery becomes a training methodic. You realize that. Yeah. That's what most people realize. Training is actually... I mean, recovery is actually a training methodic, And that's how you got to treat it. Yeah. But it also must be built into your program so you allow these periods of stabilization and actualization to occur so they can use those new fine forms of their biomotor abilities.
0: Yeah, I mean... I get coaches and managers and players coming to me all the time, you know, talking about you know sh- what should I do to help my recovery? Should I should I do cold bath? Should I get therapy? And I'm always like, listen, let's let's look let's look after the big rocks. So I was like, what's your nutrition like? What's your sleep like? What's your circadian rhythm yeah. like? If we just took care of those, you know, two or three big rocks, you know, the majority of your recovery is going to look after itself because you're putting the body in a more exact- ide- ideal environment. Exactly right.
1: Pay attention
0: to nutrition. The more importantly, pay attention to
1: sleep. Yeah, sleep is.
0: My sleep what? is the a- greatest
1: anabolic yeah. process you can have. Yeah, yeah. Well, but we don't we don't you
0: know, pay attention to that. Yeah. Well, anyone that that has that knows me or has listened to any of my podcasts or talks knows that like I'm an absolute geek on circadian biology. Like I love talking about circadian rhythms. It's just like yep. it, like your circadian rhythm controls like fucking everything in your body. Like, so it's so important to optimize what? recovery.
1: Here, here's, here's what if you look at what you're doing, Rob. You're paying attention to the very basics, very simple. Yeah. Unfortunately, simple doesn't sell. Yeah. New, cutting edge.
0: Um, yeah. You, 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 secret, you can't you can't sell you, you can't sell a secret sleep. reason
1: or yeah. secret activity. Uh, the simple stuff doesn't sell, but it is the simple stuff that works. Yeah. Look at your top sprinters in the world. The same Bolt. Let me see. He does electric speed work. Okay. He lifts weights. He does plows and throws med balls. Boy. There's, you don't see him balance on a med ball, I mean balance on a stability ball, you don't see him doing foot ladders, you don't see him doing balancing acts or circus acts. He's very simplistic in his approach to training as all of them are, but yet simple works. But again, simple isn't sexy and simple doesn't sell.
0: Well, you see, you can't sell sleep, so that's why you know, That's, what I'll, that's what I'll say to people too, you can't make money from sleep because it's free.
1: <laughs> no, no, you can't, yeah, because sleep is free. Yeah. Hey, Rob, listen i got a lot of stuff i got to
0: get done this afternoon here. Uh, okay. my, my wife just moved here, Rob. we we still got a mess in the house. Brilliant, yeah. We're literally just done here. The only thing I was going to ask was resources and advice to young coaches. So if you want to quickly wrap up on resources and advice to young coaches and then maybe just say where people can contact you or get more from you, we'll just finish on that. Yeah, here's my greatest
1: advice to young coaches, ready? Don't get involved in a profession. It's become like dentistry and lawyers. There's a dime a dozen. You better understand this. you got to pay your dues. And unfortunately, in this, in this profession, Rob, it's not about what you know anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: It's about who you know. Mm-hmm. The best-ranked coaches are not at the top universities in the United States. I can pinpoint them all, and I could name names. Guys are just cheerleaders, guys who can't explain. If you can't explain to your athletes what they're doing, why they're doing it, the physiological response of the human body, and what the long-term delayed effect of what your training is, then you have no business being in the profession. Okay. But unfortunately, every head coach got their guy, and that guy is somebody that just over and trains people to death. I've seen it happen. I've seen it at the last two strength coaches that took over for James Latch University at Pittsburgh, overvolumized, everybody doing the same thing, can't explain what they're doing and why they're doing, too much emphasis on Olympic lifting, and guess what? Injuries went through the roof. If you can't keep your athletes free from injury, or if that's not your primary goal to allow them to do their sporting activity, then you better go back and reassess your program, and you better open a book and start reading. Yeah. The key is, for young coaches, I'll tell you right now, is continue to educate yourself. Yeah. Keep an open mind and keep reading. But don't go on the Internet to all these Internet gurus. There are great Internet sites. Uh, you know, Joel Jameson has one, obviously, Louie and Elite Fitness. T Nation does some great stuff. Uh, there's some great young nutritionists out there. One guy's named Fred Duncan. Um, there's some people I've used. People don't even know of because they don't work at themselves like everybody else does. Yeah. But again, if you're going to be in this profession, be ready to network your butt off because that's how you're going to get a job. Unfortunately.
0: Just with, then, with resources maybe like your top few books and and I don't know resources websites. I, I know you're definitely going to say the science and practice and strength training, super training. What else?
1: Uh, you know what? Read other books outside of training. The Brain That Healed Itself
0: yeah, great book. is a
1: great book. That's
0: a great book, yeah. Supple
1: Leopard, Supple Leopard is a great book. Movement Dynamics. Move, uh, movement. Uh, Dynamic Movement or Movement, I forget. Thomas Hartgrove uh, has, a, has a website, and the name skips me right now, and, and, I, and I read it every month because he sends me an email. Yeah. Uh, but a guy named Thomas Hartgrove does a great job on movement. Uh, again like Dan Pass says everybody's just regurgitating what Feldenkrais said years ago um, so those, those are great resources but I, I understand you know the role of training and the preparation of the body and all the components that must be addressed mm-hmm. if it was all about strength Rob our job would be easy
0: yeah you still there? yeah I'm still there Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you were going to continue there. So it is, and then just finally, then, buddy, uh, where can people, you know, can they find out more about you? Is there a way to contact you or? Um, I, you
1: know, I, I, I'm under Coach X at Elite Fitness. Okay. Uh, Everybody pretty much knows that by now. Uh, You can send me questions at Coach X uh, at EliteFitness.com. Really, Dave's website is the only website I, I, I write for. I have. Had, you know I've talked to several people about writing a book I just said uh, I'm impatient I can't sit down and just do that Rob but one day I'm gonna put together a book Ryan Williams and I put together a book on physical preparation for American football uh, it's on 8 Odd, Joel Jamison's website which is another guy that I'd write for uh, and you can get it on the league fitness it, it details, it doesn't really detail but it gives you a brief explanation and some very good detail. I'm sorry very good detail on the preparation for American football uh, one of these days, I will sit down and write something. I think James Smith just put out a book called Applied Sprinting, which is outstanding.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Which I have. Uh, you just got to know where to look and who to trust, and, and where to go for your information. And you got to see through all these you these internet gurus. You know, guys who have never coached on this level or have never coached in large groups are telling me that if I don't use the FMS, I'm on the B team. Really, you're an average power lifter. You're not on the 18. You've never coached in major college. You've never coached in the NFL. You've never coached large groups of people. It's easy just doing one person, Rob. It's easy. But when you've got a program for a large group of individuals and being in the in the heat of battle on, on the floor every day, that's a completely different story. Completely
0: yeah. different story. Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, buddy, that's that's great stuff. 45 minutes. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back on at some stage again. Um, that was that was great. So, yeah. Uh, just uh I know you're in a rush there. I'll just close off the podcast here and uh, I'll just say my quick goodbyes here offline. So guys, great interview there with Buddy Morris. Uh, thanks a for, for his time. Keep downloading the podcast and supporting the podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Take care and stay strong.